John Barnwell? No. All right. No honorifics here. No honorifics. Well, you do have your, for everybody listening, you should be watching. Uh, he has his CIA hat on. I have my, uh, my late grandfather's Pentagon hat on. And uh, cat's out of the bag, man. We, uh, we do work for the military-industrial complex. This entire podcast has been a PSYOP, and this is the last episode of the podcast as I bring on my handler, and uh, <laughs> we drop the big truth bombs before we're both vaporized by a Hellfire missile. But, Mr. <laughs> Barnwell... Please introduce yourself, man. Well, I'm. Uh, my name is John Barnwell, and uh, I'm in the Motor City. For those of you that don't know, that's Detroit, in the, the toxically blue state of Michigan at this point. It's <laughs> uh, it's questionable whether that's uh, a reality or just a fictive. I mean, you know, but nudge, nudge, say no more. Well, but anyways, no, it, it's cool. We're we're permanently banned from YouTube, so it's cool. We can talk about things like okay. uh, like election fraud, Dominion machines. It's cool. I got booted, so it's free speech. And uh, but I've I've been chasing down rabbit holes, as they tend to call them, today for oh, 40, 50 years. I ran the largest alternative metaphysical holistic bookstore in the world back in the late seventies into the early eighties. And after that, I went on uh, and uh, I put together, uh, I was working in uh, setting up a relational database for one of the largest esoteric libraries in the world by a wealthy uh, friend of mine. And uh, so that you could look up subjects and bring up what books referred to it and all that. So thousands of volumes went into that database. We took that data system and her daughter was studying to be an Egyptologist and also could read cuneiform, you know, Mesopotamian studies. And so I did a, I don't know, 15,000 volume database on ancient Egypt and Mesopotamian studies. And all the while, uh, you know, with my background in, in rare books and, you know, I've been searching, you know, there's, I'm into these things that uh, people might not be familiar with. They're called books. And, uh, spell it, spell you, it for me. B O O X. I can remember waiting, look, searching for a book so several years at a time. You know, I go through catalogs every week, A B Bookman's Weekly, and and find items and uh, finding items for customers. And I, I've seen so much that uh, there there isn't anybody that I can think of offhand that has as as wide a context. That, that I work from. I don't make any claims that, at expertise in specific disciplines other than the work of Rudolf Steiner and anthroposophy. That's my central uh, focus. And uh, it enables me to contextualize most anything. And given that his work is some over 6,700 lectures and 50 published books and articles and all of that, and it's the most difficult study that I know of. Uh, so that uh, I've been spending, well, basically what I've been doing for most of my adult life is helping people come to an understanding of Rudolf Steiner's spiritual science. And uh, there's a lot of other things I could add because I'm also trained in other schools, you know, in various martial arts. And I used to teach Kundalini yoga. Oh, and, really? So I've, I've, I've been around a lot of uh, gurus, spiritual leaders, teachers. They used to come to me because I ran the bookstore that was selling their books. Yeah. 
So, you know, in all kinds of peculiar, more counterculture figures, like I knew Timothy Leary quite well. I knew Baba Ramdas. You knew Ramdas. I was going to ask yeah, you. Ra- we used to we used to do poetry readings. Me and John Sinclair and and uh, Howard Weingarten and you know my associates with uh, Douglas Gabriel and, and and all of that over American intelligence media and his wife Tyla is is uh, a current endeavor that I've been involved with for the last few years. And we've been getting to primary documentation. Uh, regarding all the things that are going on in the world so that it's what we have together with the uh, Americans for Innovation with Michael McKibben, uh, we've posted primary documentations for all the things that we refer to regarding the uh, senior executive service, the the crown, uh, you know, the Privy Council in England and their machinations within the U.S., uh, colonies as they like to think of us yeah. and, and and so many other things that that are hard to believe and michael mckibben you you need to know is the inventor of social media they stole it from him and they gave it out as like open source uh it was through uh, the darpa whole darpa mm-hmm. life log yeah yeah it replaced that because yeah there was insoluble problems in social media at the time they're you could only have 60 people in a conference at one time, and he figured out how to make it so that you could have unlimited number of people participating simultaneously, and they, they took it away from him. And, uh, he's a remarkable figure. So I'm honored to work with him and with Tyler, who's the kind of the mastermind behind American Intelligence Media, which is uh, Aim for Truth. Dot, dot com and, and numerous other platforms and and then Douglas Gabriel's my best friend her her husband and he's written numerous books as has she and we're just all trying to, to come out uh, turn turn uh, lemons into lemonade shall we say or as as Ram Dass would say we're all just walking each other home yeah we're all we're all just trying it makes me so jealous I've had on Dr Eben Alexander. He wrote the book Proof of Heaven, um, Harvard neurosurgeon who fell into a coma in like 2010. He knew Ram Dass, uh, a guy I have on every week, my friend Roger Williams, a sci-fi author. He met Timothy Leary. So I feel like I, I'm, it's kind of like I'm like uncovering like the root system. Like I'll never actually get to meet Ram Dass. I think he died like a day before I started this podcast. But it's always neat kind of uncovering these like veins that were connected to yeah. him. I feel like this weird and you know, and if you ask Ram Das, you, you know, where would I go? He he doesn't die. He's like, if you meet a friend of mine, you meet me, in the way that only Ram Das could say. Um it is this is kind of wasn't really kind of planning on taking it this way, but isn't it odd how it seems like, you know, we have our like traditional um figures of power, institutions of power, senior executive service. Right now you would say Joe Biden. A year ago you'd say Donald Trump, you know, Obama, Bush, whatever. You have presidents, you have queens, prime ministers, right? You have DARPA, you have the Pentagon, you have the CIA, you have the DOD, the MOD. You kind of have these institutions, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, yeah, right, Sandia, Los Alamos, whatever's going out at Groom Lake. And it's like you can't get near them, like they're physically protected. Um, then there's like intellectual protection, but then it also seems like there are these weird sort of almost like mirrors of knowledge 
like Bob Aramdas or Alan Watts. And it's like, there's no, you know, there's no, there's no concertina wire. There's no Delta force protecting them. You know, Alan Watts lived on a houseboat in Sausalito. You know, Bob Aramdas was out in Hawaii, just kind of sitting in the sand smiling. And it's these weird, it's these weird, the, the image of the guru sitting at top of the mountain, I don't think really fits. The guru is actually sitting on like a park bench. You can just walk right up to him and, and myself guilty of all of it. I always wonder, you know, what's in the deep, you know, what's in the NORAD bunker, what's in the most classified air gapped hard drive. And it's like the real kind of keys to the kingdom are just like, you know, a guy sitting on the beach smiling and it's, it's Ramdas. And there's this weird kind of mirror system of what we think is the most elite, what we think are the richest, the billionaires, the ones that are kind of diving into, you know, transcendent technology, nanobots, uploading your consciousness, becoming gods and living forever versus the guys that, you know, Ram Dass who, you know, realize that you never die. You were never born. You're, you're just here. And it's, I don't really know where I'm going with this rant, but isn't it kind of odd how there's this weird mirror system of perceived power and intelligence and then the real power and intelligence is it's just kind of sitting there on a park bench well you know it's it's kind of funny that to uh, elaborate a little bit more on that when i was teaching yoga i used to do a weekly class with a group of doctors that were uh, with uh leary and alpert at harvard Right, and and I do this yoga class with these interesting group of characters yeah. and people there that lived in Greenwich Village back in the late forties into the early fifties, and would go down and have a glass of wine and listen to John Coltrane, <laughs> you know, and and uh, so I a lot a lot of connections. I've always respected my elders, and so I've had the good fortune of having. Uh, really old people. I mean, when I was like at the bookstore, I. I go and have lunch with people that, you know, were in their 70s or 80s. Those were the people that interested me, you know. Uh, like I used to have lunch with Pat Flowers, and, and he's like one of the leading pianists, uh, you know. He played piano for Billie Holiday in, in yeah. France, you know, when he was 17 years old. You know? So it's it's interesting. I'm just interested in interesting people. But it, it I've focused more and more over the last few years on the, the spiritual aspect of it, because that's really what this is all about in my take on reality, is that all this other stuff out here, all these people wrestling for power, that's mammon, that's, you know, the prince of this world. And Jesus Christ said, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. Okay, well, I, that's where I want to be. Yeah. And so, but I'm, I'm very much into freedom. I'm what, what Goethe called the hypsisterian, a person who respects uh, a contribution by anybody of any background, whether they be pagan, Christian, Muslim, or a shaman from Siberia. I don't, I really... That's not my thing in, in trying to convince people to think like me. Yeah. Although yeah. I, it would be nice if they'd understand me, and as Rudolf Steiner said, a healthy suspension of disbelief. Just see if you can follow my line of thinking, and if it yeah. makes sense yeah. for you, good. If it doesn't, okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Voltaire, right? The sign of an intelligent man is right. Entertain an idea without necessarily believing it. 
Yeah, play with yeah, it. right. And when I talk, that's an important point because when I talk about somebody like Leary, doesn't mean I endorse him. Sure. First of all, he was working for CIA. Yeah. So it was, you know, yeah. and I'm wearing this hat. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's like, he's peace love, and it's like he was an agency you know? boy. Yeah, he was company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I I took him to Greek Town one time, and and we spent like three hours talking about all all of that. Uh, all the interlocking puzzle pieces, yeah. you know. So he, he's a wonderful soul. He was very, very honest. Sure. But I remember one of the, was the second time I spoke to him, we called him because we were going to bring him in to speak because he was made an announcement that he was going to do a tour. And we called him up and, and we're talking to him from the bookstore, the Mayflower Bookshop near Detroit, and said, yeah, we bring in a lot of different spiritual teachers uh, to lecture. And he says, I'm not spiritual. I'm scientific. <laughs> and I said, okay, uh, fine. Blink twice if your handler's there, Timothy. Yeah. <laughs> don't say the spirit. He's got a gun to his head. Don't say spiritual. We're lose all. We're gonna lose our funding. It's scientific. It's scientific. <laughs> DOD is watching, baby. Yeah. Because I'm into spiritual science. So, yeah. Sure. You know, again, if you can read Fichte, you can understand what I'm saying. You know. Yeah. And. uh because if you're not working with a threefold model of of the universe, you then you have these insoluble problems. Everybody's got this good versus evil thing going on. And that's a puppet show. Yeah. The real key is equilibrium. Yeah. Between materialism and immateriality. You know, Satan is the materialism and Lucifer is the immateriality. Lucifer's saying, None of this matters, get out of here and and Satan saying that that's all a hallucination. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, it, the, the Christ principle is finding an equilibrium between those two extremes, because without that materiality, we wouldn't have a skeleton to walk the earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And without the without the the, the levity, the the immateriality, we need that to balance it out. But what balances it out is is that. Uh, principle that's that's clearly represented in the Gospel of Saint John. You know, in the first fourteen verses, he tells you straight up, and and so that's kind of like what my path of destiny is at this point. What you could call is esoteric Christianity. It's it is it's kind of like it's the ultimate red pill, right? Is realizing that there isn't good doesn't win out over evil or, you know, I want all pleasure and no pain, like the ultimate realization. Like I, I meditate every day, I'm doing it for 13 years, still have no idea what I'm doing, but it's, it's kind of what you realize is when it like zooms all the way out and you really slow down, you, you can't, you can't excise any of it. You know, the, the, the steaming hot summer days when, when excuse my French, when your balls stick to your leg and your shirts are sweating and you're you can't breathe walking up the stairs, that's what makes you yearn for a December second day. And then it's a December second day when the sun sets at four PM and it's cold and it's windy, it makes you start to yearn for that hot summer day. It's it's I wake up every morning, I go to the gym. I take a cold shower, I meditate, and then I do the podcast, and I love it, and I'm listening to audiobooks, and you know, I'm talking to badasses like yourself, get to goof off, wear hats, and it's this, I, and I love it, and I'm working hard, and I'm working hard, but after like four or five days, like, man, I, I start to get tired, 
So I take a, I take a day off. I get a little beer. I order a pizza. I play some video games, and I melt my brain in front of an Xbox. No intellectual stimulation. No meditation. I'm not learning about the Cold War. No growth. And I can do that for about 12, 12 hours plus a long sleep, twenty four hours. That then creates the desire to go to the gym and to eat clean, eat broccoli and chicken and, and take cold showers and meditate and work. And it's this, and for a long time, you always think that you're about to find it. You're, as Ram Dass used to say, he's like, you know, doesn't it always seem like it's, it's, it's just right there? Let's get in a hot tub. And this is to quote Ram Dass directly, one of his lectures. Let's get in the hot tub. Okay, this is good. You know what would really make this good? Put on some music. Ooh, now we're, now we're grooving. You know what? What if we had some champagne? All right. You know, what if we maybe smoke a little cigarette, smoke a little pot? What if we get a sexual partner? All right, now we're grooving. What if we go to dinner, though? Oh, let's go get a big dinner. After the dinner, let's go get an ice cream cone. Ice cream Let's go to the movies. You go to the movies. After the movie, have a slice of pizza. Let's go home. Let's make love. Let's watch late night TV. Let's go to sleep. It's always, it's just right right there it's you're almost so close and 10 20 for me 31 years pass and it's always right and just right out of grasp and you start to wonder can it ever be grasped and if the answer is yes it's because you've grasped it all along the duality is doing this i'm doing this podcast later tonight i'm gonna play some video games when I'm playing the video games, I start to think I want to be working. I want to be listening to audiobooks. I want to be doing podcasts. When I'm working and doing podcasts, after, you know, I'll do one, two, three in a day. By the third one, I'm like, man, I'm ready to turn my brain off and play some video games. And it's this, you start to realize that like not one, when one end of the seesaw isn't better than the other. It's, you know, if you're walking between the twin towers on a tightrope, the right side and the left side aren't better. It's about finding it right along the wire. And if you can do that, well, then you have a view from the height of the Twin Towers versus, I, I, I kind of, is that what you're saying? Am I, am I touching on it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, again, if if you allow yourself to, to enter into the proper mood of soul when, when one meditates, that, that enables you to, through the, the principle of awe and reverence, uh, bring about, it's called catharsis. And, and essentially, you know, you've heard about the chakras and all of that, but what, what is that? What, what, well, those are astral centers. Your, your astral body is that vehicle that you share with the animal kingdom. And you have an etheric body that you share with the plant kingdom. And you have a physical body you share with the mineral kingdom and you are an individual ego mm -hmm. and that ego dwells in the warmth of the blood and it was received through Christ and it's through that principle that you come into relationship with what we call the macrocosmic ego which is the Christ and but Christ is always there but he's working unconsciously because if he came in and just took over and you always did good things but you'd just be a marionette yeah it wouldn't be you uh, evolving into what we're just trying to describe as a, uh, the, the principle, uh, the spirits of freedom and love. And so it's that, that whole delicate balance that, that, that's being enacted. But it's up to you to come to it of your own free will and accord. 
not that you're doing it because you don't want somebody to cut your head off. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so you don't want to violate other people's freedom in your pursuit of that path and, and become some kind of bizarre fanatic, you know? So it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance breath by breath. And, but if one approaches it in the right way, then you'll see that, that, well, like Goethe said, the eye was created by light to receive light. See? And so when you allow uh, a super sensible activity to, to take place in you, even studying mathematics, that's essentially super sensible working through mathematics. You're creating a sense free activity. And, and, in Rudolf Steiner's, really, it's his fundamental work, what was originally called the philosophy of freedom, but it's called the philosophy of spiritual activity. It's like a symphony in that the, the path of, of developing sense-free thinking is laid out, but it's like a symphony. You can't just take all the parts and move them all around. You have to follow the progression of ideas. But if you do that, it will bring you to a certain state of catharsis to where the, the chakras that I referred to earlier, you have everything you need. It just has to be orchestrated. It's like, you know, at the beginning of the symphony, you got everybody's tuning up and it's all this noise and all of that. You know, and then the conductor, he taps his baton and everybody goes quiet and all of a sudden there's all this beautiful harmony, right? And so it's everything you have is already there. It's just you have to, through this catharsis, Get the things out of the way that are preventing you from finding clarity. It's kind of like a, it's like a Thanksgiving meal, right? People are showing up, there's stuff in the oven, but you can't eat it just yet. And everything's moving around. The dinner table's being made. Everyone come in for dinner, say grace, and then everyone's served, and then it's right, and then it's just the full. You get to receive it all. You get to eat the the stuffing and the pie, and but it's this weird, yeah, you building it up slowly, building it up slowly. And you're right, you can't jump around with it. You can't, you know, I, I often think, you know, how come I couldn't have realized this 10 years ago? How come, how much easier would my life be if I realized this at 21? That like doing the podcast and exercising and eating healthy versus drinking some beer and playing some video games and, and snoring, that it's not one or the other but it's the dance between the two. How come I couldn't have realized that 10 years ago? How, you know, how much, you know, how much more at peace would I be? Well, it's the 10 years of kind of BS that gets you here. You can't add on uh, Tucker Max, who is this, 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 this party animal dude. And he, he wrote a book. I hope they serve beer in hell. And, you know, in college, every guy read it. It was all just about his sex capades and, you know, just being a bro. And that was like 13, 14 years ago. And you, and, but I interviewed him like two, three months ago after he got into like psychedelics and meditation. And now he's got a wife and he's got like a couple little kids and he's talking about like healing trauma. And you're like, what happened to, to like, how did, but he said, he's like, don't, don't chastise the path that got you to the summit. Don't, don't hate how you got there. And I, I often look at that and I think about that like there is no shortcut. Like I have to do all these little things. I have to become – you've got to get wrapped up in, in politics. You've got to get wrapped up in sex. You've got to get wrapped up in working out. You've got to get wrapped up in popularity, right? You've, you've kind of got to – you've got to go into all of these 
all these mirages of, ooh, when I get that, I'll be happy, to, you know, by the fourth or fifth or sixth one, you know, in middle school, I took several years and got really good at basketball. High school, I took several years, got really good at working out. College, I took several years and studied and got into medical school. You know, I, I kept doing all these things, and you always think, this is the one. Once I master this, then then I'll be happy. But really, it's sort of a system of systems. You look back and you go, oh, it was that that false pursuit of all these end games that by the fourth or fifth one, you finally start to sit back and you're like, what the hell am I doing? What am I like? What am I really doing? And it's, you know, maybe I'd have to sit here with a Pentagon hat and talk to you with a CIA hat. And maybe this is it. Like this is as again, as Ramdas says, this is it. And if this isn't it, there isn't any. It's just here. And it's the whole dance, the navigation, the beginning of the song, the end of the song, the middle, the guitar solo, the badass drum. You can't have any one part of it, right? You can't, it's, it's all, you can't have Christmas without the 4th of July. You, you, can't, you can't appreciate winning the championship unless you've also had it stolen from your fingers, right? You can't, you can't, you can't appreciate a healthy relationship unless you've been in a bad one. You can't appreciate falling in love unless you've, you know, had to go through the withdrawals of losing love. It's And then we and then what do you do once you do realize that? I'm asking I'm asking you Mr. Barnwell. What what do you do? Once you do you, do you just observe in ecstatic bliss? Well, it's 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 uh it's a question of rhythm. And and so in the Rosicrucian path, you know, Early in, in, in the development of Christianity, as we moved into what they, in history books, they always call it the Dark Ages. You know, it was like, that was the time in which people did, did things and they didn't know any better or something. They just gave it a really a bad rap. But see, at that time, leading up to a critical point at uh, 333 AD, in the fourth century, they started outlawing the, the modalities, the Christian modalities that were present in the early uh, centuries that had to do with more of a, a metaphysical approach to uh, the understanding of Christ because you still had the remnants of the ancient clairvoyant cultures from the pagan lands and, and you had the, the esoteric teachings of, of the, the Old Testament teachers in Judaism. And so there was all these elements that were active within early Christianity that all of a sudden Christianity morphed into this uh, version of the Roman Empire and it became a legal system. And and you don't want to look bad on that because like what you're saying, the, the, the path is the path. It's just it was time for that to happen because people had to be experiencing themselves as separate beings, that, that they were not just a, a member of a family, that they were not just a member of some group, but we had to individuate. But now that we've gotten to this, this later stage of development, now it's time for us to unfold this individuation, which has to do with re-entering into that uh, spiritual realm and being able to integrate that into our lives. But we can't go be monks like, you know, uh, 
St. Anthony in the desert or something, you know, some people can, good for them. That path is still available, you know, but that path is one path. The, the other path has to do with the Rosicrucian stream, which is to where you set aside a portion of your life to, to do your spiritual work, and then you have to do your work in the world. But I guarantee you, if you make progress in, in your meditative task, that you're going to lose interest in certain things, let's just say, because you, you kind of tend to outgrow things. You might your taste in music might change, uh, the kind of people that you associate with. But it's all here. I mean, as as the German Romantic poet that was contemporary with Johann Wolfgang von Goethe and Beethoven in that whole fascinating period, he said, "Paradise is strewn everywhere." And so it's, it's like all here, you know, it's like that, that motorcycle that you want exists, but it's not in your garage. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's that whole carrot on a stick. There's always another little worldly thing that you can keep yourself preoccupied with. There's always going to be that. So then why worry about it? It's not going to go away. And, and meditation has to do with the cessation of the modifications of the mind, according to the the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, right? The ancient Indian meditative text. And I don't think anybody's improved on that statement. Meditation is the cessation of the modifications of the mind. It's allowing consciousness to exist without trying to, to, to control it, but uh, to, to focus it. it. It is a control, but it's a self-control. That's a brilliant statement. Meditation is the cessation of the modification of mind. Yeah. But it's... See, it's, a statement like that, uh, in the right instance, it's all context, could bring you to enlightenment in an instant. It's possible. Just, oh, yeah, right. You know, and and when I experienced enlightenment, I was, what, 18 years old, my first nodal return, lunar node return. And... and I didn't know anything about it. The only person I could talk to about it was my grandma. Yeah. She was born back in 1888, you know, and she, but she knew exactly what it was. She said, but you're too vain. I said, yeah, probably, yeah. but it happened, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but see, I, I'd had this kind of a spiritual culture uh, coming out of the, you know, I brought up Catholic and my great-grandfather was the the guy who owned the construction company that built Henry Ford's Highland Park plant, the oh, first holy crap. production. And he did like the cathedral and uh, Catholic schools and churches and all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, he died. And he, we're Irish, you know, and so they had a wake. And he uh, was laying in the bed, up in the bedroom, dead, you know, and and all these people, Fords and Dodges, and all these important people in Detroit are showing up to pay their respects. And his mentor shows up, which is, I got his picture here. He's a wonderful being. But that's... Okay. Uh, get the glare off. That's Father Solanus Casey. Okay. And he went upstairs, and after five minutes, my great-grandfather yells out, give me a glass of water. And he came back from the dead. So that's like kind of the one of the earliest stories that I can remember hearing from my mom and my grandma and my aunts and they because they, they all knew about it and and it was a real uh, moment for everybody that was there the Fords and Dodges included and you know 
with that kind of a thing, it made perfect sense to me as a small child because I was young enough to not be corrupted by the world to to, to be sarcastic and and to be so incapable of conceiving of it. So that that's something that I'd always carried with me. And but my grandma lived to be a hundred years old. She died in nineteen eighty eight. That's her soul. But she was the one person when when this thing happened to me when I was. Uh, 18 years old that I could talk to. I didn't know anybody. I couldn't find any books. Finally, I found the Tibetan Book of the Dead, stuff like that. And then eventually people, uh, other people came along, you know, but uh, it was it was interesting that they, it was the most profound thing that ever happened to me and that nobody ever told me there was such a thing, you know. And so, but if you go to scripture, you find it there. Jesus says, if therefore thine eyes be single, thy body shall be filled with God's light. And that's that's it in a nutshell. He says it right there. That's the challenge of, of scripture is is like when you get like Hegel, for example, he, he talks about how no matter what level you're at, it's there for you. And that's why some of the smartest people that you're ever gonna find concern themselves with studying scripture. You know, I mean like they did a study of of IQs at uh Harvard University, the professor who developed the IQ tests, and they did a study of historic figures, and they and they came up with uh, the three highest uh, estimations of IQ was Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, and then there was uh, uh, Manuel Swedenborg, and then there was uh, uh, what's his name, uh, John. Um, the uh, my mind is slipping right now. Uh, <laughs> I have him around here. Yeah. Anyways, uh, he's a, he, he's one of the one of the pragmatists, but uh, I don't know why I'm not thinking well on that. But he's not important in this dialogue, anyway. So that you have two out of the three of those people, John Stuart Mill, who's a brilliant guy, and but two out of those three are, are esoteric. You know, uh, Emanuel Swedenborg and Johann Wolfgang von Goethe are both occultists. And, and John Stuart Bill, he probably was very familiar with it, even though he didn't get into it because he read everything, you know. And so why are the smartest people associating themselves with ideas regarding the supersensible? See, that's, that's the key. And, and, and studying it, oh, you're going you're gonna to get it wrong. You're going to make mistakes. Riddlestein is very clear. It's the aspiration, the, the, the purity of your intent that's, that's what leads you along. Not that you've got, uh, you dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. Because as time, it'll unfold. And so that's like in my podcast, I always say that all I'm trying to do is help people improve their questions. It's, it's like, as you, you can kind of see it though, right? I mean, you can kind of catch glimpses of it, like, like Albert Einstein. I think he one of his lesser known quotes is like, "Once you accept that the universe is something expanding into nothing, then it's so you, you don't you don't care about wearing stripes with dots." Like, it's like what even you know even 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 Richard Alpert when you go and you read. I mean, you know we all know Ram Dass, but I mean his entire come up story was like. This is a brilliant guy. This is like a young Harvard phenom. He was the empire builder. I mean, and what does he eventually realize? Like sitting all alone. I know I've quoted him like a hundred times, but 
And another one is, you know, when I was all alone in the bathtub at night and I had no one's eyes to look into to tell me how great I was, I always wondered, is this enough? And you do kind of glimpse that when you find these guys that have climbed the highest rungs, they inevitably start to lean into spirituality trying to find something more and i don't think it's like a desperate last grasp for for fulfillment so much as it does kind of seem like the thing that your mind eventually goes to i mean i'm i remember like three years into meditating i I never really knew what i was doing i wasn't intending to meditate it was just something i kind of ended up doing i don't even remember really how um but i remember the first time i had sort of like a breakthrough experience where it wasn't just ah this kind of calms me down but rather like a psychedelic dive into my soul like and you know really seeing like a a a different side of life like like going from the second dimension to the third dimension it was all of a sudden it was just this new universe and i had no idea who to talk to about it i remember i went and talked to like my biology professor this was in college this is my star and i was like when did like you know, when did like apes become conscious? When did become self-aware? And he was giving me all these answers about like brain development through evolutionary history. And I was like, no, like, yeah, sure. No, I get that. I'm talking about like neurons and stuff. But I was like, what, what, what is, and I remember, and I eventually I remember going and asking like a neuroscience professor. I was like, what is, like, what is I? Like, what is, and this is a guy. And he, I remember he looked at me and he goes, after college, and he was, you know, at the time he was in his 60s, but he's like, after college, I took several years of soul searching. And he's like, I can tell you, Tommy, he's like, the answer you're looking for is not in a textbook. He was like, you're not going to find it. You can't, it's not written on paper. It can't be. It's experience. And kind of by accident, I ended up having to read part of the Bhagavad Gita for like when I'm, it was like an elective class, you know, I was a pre-med bio major, but I had to take religions of the world 1006 or whatever it was going through you have to read all you know you got to write up a pair it was just some it was literally a homework assignment and i remember like reading through it just kind of i vividly remember like sitting in my room in in the fraternity house in 2011 i was reading through it and it was talking about like meditation it was you know it was like sit on a deerskin mat not too high and not too low like focus on your breathing the heart you know the chest goes up and down you go in and it was like you find your emotions and behind your emotions are your thoughts and behind your thoughts are you and behind your you is I and behind I is the self. And there in that. And I was like, brilliant. I was like, finally, someone else gets like, this is what. And I was like, who wrote this? I was like, this is thinking I'm going to find the author realizing what the Bhagavad Gita was. And I was like, oh, this is thousands of years. Old. But there's this weird. You do have these moments where you're like there's no one to talk to about it. You're, you're like, what did I just, I mean, it's, I can only imagine it would be like getting abducted by a UFO. You're like, who the hell do I even begin to broach this subject with? But yeah, you eventually find it. And isn't it called, was it a, a cone, K-O-A-N? Isn't that the thing that's supposed to snap yeah, you koan. into enlightenment? Koan. Koan, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it was, uh, there's like, a, I think Alan Watts gave a lecture once and it's like a teacher like tells a student, you know, what are the, what's the one tenant of Buddhism or something? And, you know, the kid would always say it and he'd be like, no, there's no tenants. And he would close his fingers and the kid would, I'm butchering it, but the kid like raise a finger and go, no, this is the tenant of Buddhism. And so finally the kid came back one day and like put his finger down and goes, that's the tenant of Buddhism. 
and the teacher said no. And so the kid put up his finger and then the, the, the teacher grabbed his hand and chopped off his finger with a knife. He goes, what are the tenets of Buddhism? And he went to hold it up and then he had enlightenment. It just it broke him. It cracked him. It's dividing by zero, right? It's all of a sudden the system just implodes on itself. And I've yet to experience that. I think probably the closest I got was 10 minutes ago with you. you know, meditation is the cessation of the modification of mind. That's, that's what it is, though. You're no longer yearning for this, that, or the other thing. You just, you are. Yeah, that's the, that's that catharsis. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the purification of the chakras in, in the astral body. The astral body, when, when you purify the astral body, you develop what's called in India, manas, which is like the higher mind, which in, in esoteric Christianity, we would call that the Sophia. That's the wisdom aspect. And that's, has to do with the, the brow chakra, two-petaled lotus, and the focal point of your I or ego, I am the I am, is right between there, right? And then, but when you take that experience, that can, that can bring you into an awareness of the world in, that you existed in before you were born, see? And if you go back into the old early periods of the Christian development, you know, in, before the fourth century, there were people that still had a memory of, 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 of a relationship to the, the realm uh, of the supersensible. And so you have all these legends about uh, like going into battle and, and a, a leader, one of the ancient uh, leaders is leading the charge. But he died, you know, like 200 years ago. And you find all these kinds of stories and you think, well, why would they make that up? Why they? Because yeah. that's what they, that's what they, that's that whole like in the Valhalla thing with the, with the, the Vikings is that they, the, the warriors of Valhalla, they were with, they were a part of their company. It, it's that whole connection thing to, to that which is, is not visible to the physical senses, you see. Because there's different modalities from the ancient world, whereas uh, in the ancient mysteries, they would take you into a temple and they'd put you into a trance for th three and a half days or so. And they would lift your astral body and ego out and, and loosen your etheric body and bring you into an experience where you would, you would actually meet the Logos, you'd meet the Christ, see? And then you could they'd bring you back and you would have a memory of that. And people had gone through the complete experience of that. They, they were called fathers and that they had that stage of initiation, right? But see, as we entered into uh, the incarnation of Christ, he brought a new element into the picture in that he became human. And so the dove descended at, at the baptism and the, and the Logos entered into Jesus, and he was different after the, the baptism, you see. And the, but he doesn't want to commandeer your, your operating system. He wants you to develop on your own and freely come to understanding that God is love. 
And there's no easier way to do that, than to be able to reverently meditate and bring about a cessation of the modifications of the mind. In the right, but it's the mood of soul, see, is the, that's, that's the throat chakra, that's the 16-petal lotus, the Eightfold Path of the Buddha. Because the Buddha was the one who was the first who really presented the whole doctrine of compassion, right? Mm. And, and, and you have Krishna, that was at the beginning of Kali Yuga. And so you have the, the death of Krishna's, Krishna's, the beginning of Kali Yuga, the end of Kali Yuga was in 1899. So it's time to, for us to begin to wake up out of our slumber. See, and and to be able to come to a, a cognitive experience of the spiritual world, and so you have atma, buddhi, which is the, the principle of compassion, which is the, what you can fashion out of the etheric body. This is what you fashion out of the astral body, and when you start to to bring about the catharsis, the astral body can bring an imprint into the etheric body and you develop your super sensible being. And those are those people that you see walking around who have that radiance around their body. They're beginning to do that. Of course, if you take it to the next stage where the atma dwells, that's the heart. That's the force that actually moves your blood. That's the transformation of the physical. That's like high initiates like the Comte Saint-Germain, you know, people like that. They're, you know, you can worry about that later on. You know that's that's a, a later stage of development. But this, the whole purpose of of him coming here was to go through the the crucifixion and then the resurrection, so that the new Jerusalem's already here. It's a state of consciousness. It's it's not a. a it's not a place. You know, we got to go build a yeah. a new city. Yeah. You know have. Elevators. Yeah, we gotta go. We gotta go landscape it and put in some roads. Like, yeah, it's already here. It's just a question of do we have the consciousness to be able to be a participant in that uh, amazing event? And that's the point of the Book of Revelation. You know, and and Saint John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the the deepest of the disciples. See, and and so in the Gospel of John and in in uh, the book of the book of John and and the Apocalypse, you're going to get the initiation teachings in their their purest form. You see, and and the other Gospels are all they're all important, but it's like giving different facets of the story. You know, so and and they still understood this when they built the Gothic cathedrals, and so you'll see these portrayals. Of, of the Gospels. And so John is the eagle, and that's like the constellation of Scorpio, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have the bull, and that's Taurus, right? And that's the Gospel of Luke with the simple shepherds, right? And then you have Mark, that's the lion, see? And then you have, and that's Leo, and then you have the, the, uh, Gospel of Matthew is the symbol of the angel or the upright man, right? And so that that's that's Aquarius. Those are the four fixed signs of the zodiac. And I'm not making this up. I mean, you can go look it up at medieval sources. They, these are things that they, there was a star wisdom associated with this whole mystery, and that's basically in my books. That's what I lay out is the whole uh, the structural. Uh, basis of, of the sevenfold mystery as it relates to the twelvefold 
modalities of thinking. And it enables you to be able to uh, maintain a relationship to these understandings, the seven moods of soul and, this, and the 12 uh, modalities of consciousness. It's, it's, just a, it's like a mandala system that's the Christian esoteric mandala system, and you can find it expressed in the cathedrals. And it was a wisdom that was carried uh, through the Grail Mysteries to the Knights Templar to the true Rosicrucian order. And it, but it leads back to Dionysius the Areopagite, who was the first bishop of Athens, and, and he's mentioned in Scripture that St. Paul, uh, he converted him and in they established an esoteric school there. You see that the the celestial hierarchies was the book written by the the successors of Dionysius, the Areopagite. That's where you get your doctrine of the angels and the archangels and the archai and the exousiae and the dunamis and the curiotites and the thrones and the seraphim and the cherubim, that whole system of angelology, that is esoteric Christianity, see? What you talked about with with the ancients bringing them into the the like the inner sanctum, right, and they, they lift the lift you out and, and they bring you back down, and you know you're talking about the the, the individuals with the radi radi you know people always wrote about that was something about Baba Ramdas is it was like you walk into a room and it was like walking into a room with a fireplace you're just like who is this the only person I can ever really think about that is 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 uh, Father Father Monsignor Lopez, as, as you, I'm, a, I'm an Irish Catholic uh, guy, but I, you know, I went to Catholic school all my life, and I remember Monsignor Lopez, who's still alive. Um, I believe he was getting up there in years, but uh, he was a priest at St. Pius the Tenth Catholic High School in Atlanta, where I went to high school. Monsignor Lopez was someone, or even back when I was a, a stone-cold materialist atheist, even when he would walk into a room, despite being like an 18-year-old angsty, you know, just kind of, you know, jerk, he would walk into a room, and I swear it was, I mean, it was like someone brought in a space heater. You just kind of, like, felt it. I mean, like, truly, like, I can feel it now when I'm thinking about it. Like, you could almost feel it on your skin, right? When, you know, in, like, the spring when it's still kind of cold, but it's also kind of turning into summer and you walk outside and in the sh in the in the shadows it's still cold and then you walk out in the sun and then you know all your hairs stand up and it's like that's kind of what monsignor lopez felt like when he'd walk in it was just just enough to kind of pull you out but the, the point is is so there does seem to be like an actual thing and it, it's not just my reports and it's not just people talking about ramdas uh you know, he would talk about it with, uh, you know, who is, it, who is his guru, Neem Kroli Baba? He would talk about it. You, you meet and it said it's just light coming out of the forehead. And it's not not like you walk into a dark room and it lights up, but it's something you perceive. It, it is it is an aura. Um, that kind of makes me think of, I know I've quoted him a thousand times, but I guess this is just what this podcast is, is quoting Ramdas. They said, you know, no matter how no matter how high you are, no matter how one you are with God, it's no reason to not know your uh, your postal code. And it was just this kind of like, we're here, we're we're experiencing God, but like, I mean, after this podcast, you know, I, I gotta I gotta do my laundry, like it's I got I gotta pay rent. 
oh shit today no i did pay rent already <laughs> i just had a heart attack you know you got to pay rent and it's like meditate and become one with you know the innermost self that is all of existence which is nothing but love but i also got to go get groceries at walmart and it's for me at least i've found for a long time you want to you want to push the physical world away, right? At first, it's that's all the enticement there is. I want sex. I want food. I want drink. I want sleep. I want a hot shower. And then as you slowly start to you know dip your toes into meditation, you start to view all this as bad, right? Which is just kind of another stepping stone along the way of realizing duality. But you push it away. And, you know, eventually it, it, it's starting to dawn on me that like the physical world isn't just like a stepping stone it's not it's not something to be pushed away it's not something that it gets in the way and it can seem like that but it seems to be an inseparable part of this whole journey it's you know step two is no better or worse than step one or step three they're all connected and it's, you know, I can't do this podcast without the microphone, but I also can't do it without the camera. And I also can't do it without the light. It's all, it's all wrapped in. Um, so kind of what I'm getting at with, you know, bringing them into the temple, lifting them out and then putting them back in. Ram Dass talking about the light, Monsignor Lopez, the light, and the whole, you still got to know your postal code. Could you maybe shed some light onto that for me, no pun intended, about, about how the physical world isn't something to be pushed away? It's whether, is it something you just be learned from or is it something that you do, you go out and then you bring something back down, right? And now you have this thing and it leaves an imprint. We don't just send satellites up to take pictures of, of communist North Korea. We take the pictures and then we use that as actionable intelligence. We do something on the ground out there, right? You go up with reconnaissance, you find the target and then you send in the guys and blow them up, right? What are... I'm not even sure what quite I'm asking, but could you kind of go into that more? The whole, you experience this thing and then you bring it back down. Because it, it makes sense, right? The Bodhisattva comes back and teaches everyone. But if, you know, if the mystics bring you into the temple and raise you out and you get to meet Christ, why the hell would you want to come back? Well, what's the, sure, you can come back and share what you know. But why would you even want to come back? Like you just experienced paradise. You just experienced like the kingdom of jewels. Well, what am I going to come back and, and and do my podcast better? Screw the podcast. Screw the physical form. Forget sex and showers and Big Macs. Like, yeah, at least, and this is just in my limited mind. If I went and met Christ or if I went and experienced this, sure, you could come back and use those teachings. But why would you want to? come back at all i know whenever i meditate and reach that purely peaceful world sure i can come back and and use that but if i had my druthers i would never come back it's it's bliss it's heaven why would i even want to come back is that just part of the learning process am i still clearly in like the 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 student process well i i mean uh, it, it brings to mind I was one of the uh, first people to meet with the Dalai Lama when he came to America for the first time. And I introduced him to Thomas Binyakia, the spokesman for the Hopi elders, the Hopi Indians down in Four Corners. And uh, he's an extremely interesting group. They're the record keepers 
of the Indians of North America, a, a branch of the Toltec. And I had discussed with Thomas about, according to my understanding from esoteric, so my sources, that the Toltec were from Atlantis. He said, yes. He said, the other t- tribes, they came across Alaska and came down from Asia, and we taught them how to grow corn. And so, and the prophecy of the Hopi tablets is is something that we're really going through right now at this time to a large extent, because he says there's, there's two really ways in which it can go. And uh, to get in back to your point, though, because it's so easy for... I, oh, no, so I, I kind of want you to keep Some going on that. All right, we'll go... Let me, make a, let me make a note of that, because I was ju- you were just pulling me in with that, the Hopis and the... We'll do that. That will be the next podcast. Okay. Hopis, two paths. I really haven't done a, a, a more complete discussion of that okay. specific topic. Okay, I made a note of it. Elsewhere. And, uh, but with the Dalai Lama, he's, he's a, 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 he's a Galupa, uh, Tibetan Buddhist, right? He's head of the Galupa order. In, in that tradition, you have what's called Chanrezig, or in Sanskrit, Avalokiteshvara. And that's the whole concept of compassion. The, the why would you come back? Well, for the liberation of all sentient beings that you want to bring to consciousness others because again god is love right well without others where's where's this love thing yeah right yeah i mean if if you're just going well i just want to liberate my well that's like the what's called hinayana is that you just want to go into uh ultimate uh nirvikalpa samadhi and and you've you've transcended uh, everything and you're just all by yourself or something like that that's i mean just really it's that's that that's in a way uh, misunderstood also because that's that really the case because this whole concept of of uh the dharma is is it, it within tibetan buddhism and douglas is even more conversant about this than i we were he studied with with uh gala grimpache Caleb Grimpache is a very good friend of mine. He used to play chess. He's like the, he was the, one of the principal teachers of the Dalai Lama. And uh, he was a remarkable soul. But they have a, a very pure teaching. But it's important to remember that the, the transmission that he's carrying was before Christianity. And I told Caleb Grimpache, I told him, I said, you know, Buddha's a Christian now. <laughs> <laughs> Because ultimately, the Adi Buddha that they keep talking about—that's just their name for the the primal Buddha, which is which is Christ. Yeah. Because that that's it. That's that's the, the the story. And so that's Osiris. That's Krishna. That's all these uh, revealed teachings, the the mysteries of Apollo that were celebrated, uh, you know, from the Hyperborean impulse from the Northern European. Various cultures had a relationship to this Christ mystery, you know, Zarathustrian with Ahura Mazda, the, the aura of the sun, that, that all these things, uh, there's pure streams that all lead up to this Christ mystery, and it all consolidates into the incarnation of the one-time incarnation. He's not going to come back and be president of 
you know, the, the uh, United uh, States of the world yeah. or what have you. If somebody shows up like that, that's, that's not That's the Antichrist, him. right? Yes. Yeah. And, and in fact, that's, that's what we're moving into is that time where just as Lucifer incarnated in China uh, in the uh, a few thousand years B.C., so we're going to have Araman, the spirit of materialism, the satanic being, uh, incarnate in North America uh, with, within you know, our time frame or soon after. And so we're going to have the opportunity to show what we're made of, see? And and it's it's supposed to happen. And But what we're supposed to do is develop ourselves to be able to participate in that new Jerusalem and not uh, take the mark of the beast. Yeah. And we all know what that is because it's, it's like, going on like gangbusters. I mean, do you believe, I, I, who could have, I mean, would you have said that we'd be in this predicament we're in right now, just a mere five, seven years ago? I mean, it's things were accelerating. You the, know? And it's, there's a funny meme. There's a funny meme, and it's like my parents at 30, and it's like, a, you know, it's like have a baby, another one on the way, and they're looking at which house they want to buy. And then it's me at 30. And it's waking up and going, I can't believe another chapter of Revelations is happening. <laughs> it's it's like, huh, I guess, you know, but it is, yeah. man, and it's weird. And you, you get struck. I've, I've interviewed Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine twice, who was on a crusade to get people to not take it. And that's, that's why I was permanently banned from YouTube. And man, I mean, you start looking at it and you're like, your mind almost shuts down. You're like, this can't be it. And then it's right. You got to get this passport. You got to have this thing in order to go buy food, in order to drink, in order to participate in society. I mean. Well, there's worse things than death. Yeah. Okay. I'm just save myself. I'm just trying right. to do this but, thing. But I'm the one that's got to die when it's time for me to die. Yes. So I live my life the way I want to. Yes. I it's on. Yeah. It's, well, that's. That's, Jimmy Hendrix, you yeah. know, that's what he said. And I'm with him, you know. Yeah. Well, that's my logic is there are worse things than death. That was kind of a, a soul-searching I had when realizing if I kept uploading these videos I was doing with these doctors, with these CIA officials after the election saying this thing was stolen, was like, hey, I can stay on YouTube and stop uploading these. But I really did view that as like a fate worse than death. I was like, I can't. Whether it's something as little as that or whether it's, you know, screaming Valhalla and running into battle, there are just some things where you're like, if I do this, like a true part of my soul dies. You yeah. know, if I, if I, if I'm, you know, if my ancestors literally fought Nazis, but I can't upload a video from the inventor of the mRNA vaccine who's speaking out against this, if I can't speak truth to pet, I don't have to storm a beach. I just have to press upload. If I can't press upload, then what am I? And yeah. so... Well, and that's the, that's the beauty of it because ultimately it, it the heart forces are, are forces of courage. You know, that's the lion. That's that 
that, that real force. And so you go, you go to the Gospel of the Lion, Gospel of Mark, right? And and what's the the large amount of what's in the Gospel of Mark? It has to do with uh, the healings that Christ did. There's all these miraculous healings, you know. So it's an actually participating in the world with with ultimate courage. I mean, it's the purest example of courage you're going to find. And so that's that heart force. And years ago, uh, with, with uh, an associate from the, uh, the I, we had the Waldorf Teacher Training Program in Southfield here, and our bookstore was the largest outlet for Rudolf Steiner's work in North America. And so now the headquarters of, of Rudolf Steiner's Anthroposophical Societies in Ann Arbor. And, but I was working with Ralph Marinelli, who was uh, one of the three heads of the Waldorf Teacher Training Program uh, near here in, in Southfield. And we uh, started working with the indications of Rudolf Steiner and studying him. He was the head of the tank factory here in Detroit, you know, oh, and, and the laboratory. Yeah. And so Rudolf Steiner said that the heart is not a pump. So we set about to prove scientifically, which we, we were able to do. There's now published peer-reviewed papers, and there are people pursuing that, that line of thought. We didn't... We weren't so presumptuous to say what it was and define it, but we proved absolutely completely that the heart is not a pump. It can't be. It's got a little thin tissue hinge at the bottom. Yeah. And we and we were able to discern the rotational movement of the heart and the rotational vortexing of the blood, that it's this dynamic uh, event. And... and that's something that, that's a very liberating concept, see, because we have to get beyond this whole mechanical way of looking at the world. And, and the world of mechanics is very important for mechanical things, but it won't solve the, the mystery of life. And so you have to be able to go when you get into the world of life, the world of the etheric, that the kind of mathematics that you're using to, to solve functions with a machine are insufficient to solve the principle of life, let alone the beyond that into the astral where you have movement becomes a property in the animals. And, and so you have these different realms and they have their own rules. They're, they're not the same, but the modern monoculture that's developing this scientism is trying to bring everything under the control of the the, the two-dimensional uh analytical view of the world. they want to turn us into robots for god's sake yeah i mean seriously yeah so what is that well that's that's that mechanical realm trying to to find eternity you know that's the realm of of, of materiality of araman and while we, we, we should keep it at bay, we have to respect that without it, we wouldn't have a solid skeleton. But nonetheless, it's not to be the core of our being. The core of our being is that, that uh, spirit of freedom and love that, that Rudolf Steiner talks about, that we've received as a gift from Christ. And, and because we can approach it through the Holy Spirit, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, we, we can do it as free beings rather than just be well-behaved uh, robots. Yeah, it's, that's me in college trying to 
trying to find the explanation for consciousness in a textbook. And it's like you can learn every protein folding and every dendrite and axon and every neurochemical. You're never going to find the explanation for this, isness, that I am. We're never going to break it down into just this is, you know, we're never going to, there's not a money amount you hit when all of a sudden you go, oh, now I'm fulfilled, right? It's, it's, it is liberating, you know, that of, of the heart. Because it is, it's very symbolic of the mechanical, I have to do, I have to change. You know, I bring about, you know, I, I, to, I toil in the soil. It's I am bringing about the change in this world. It is, it's very, it's on your shoulders. It's I have to do this. I have to work hard and elbow grease and get those neurons sweating. And you're going to, you know, we're going to build the new Jerusalem. And it's very much so that physical mindset of if we just do this, if we just bomb these people into submission, then we can. And it's like, no, it's a, it's a completely different. You're never going to understand three dimensions if you're living in the two dimensional world. There's just this certain I can play my video games and then turn it off and then go eat a sandwich and do a podcast. The the digital entities in the video game, they, they, they can't understand. Well, they're not real. So this is a weird analogy, but you get what I'm saying. It's um, yeah, so, yeah it's. It's, yeah. Life is not a series of subroutines. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, but, you know, and they, they come up with very sophisticated uh, subroutines run through supercomputers. So they work on keywords that trigger uh, events through their, their subroutines. And it's all very, very clever. It's very impressive. You know? Sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, sure. But that's not it. Yeah. You know, and DARP is not I don't want to hurt their feelings, but wait a minute. They don't have feelings. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you're right. It's, it's all very impressive, right? It's, it's, um, you know, DARPA inventing like a, a supercomputer modeled after the human brain or NORAD under 2,000 feet of granite watching every square inch of the earth. Like, that's all very impressive. And no one, I'm not going to try to take that away from them. But well, it's, a, it's kind of funny. Like when I moved into where we're living now, you know, about six years or so ago, I uh, was talking to around the time I was moving in, I was talking to this guy and he's an engineer and he says, yeah, I work for this company and we do data storage systems. And I just on intuition said, oh, your biggest client's the NSA. He says, yeah, and but they want to build a facility in Toronto. I said, well, don't you know they're international? Yeah, yeah. He worked for NetApp, and I just had an intuition that that was the company that was building these massive storage yeah. facilities. So what happened? So right around that time, you know, like a week later, I'm moving into where I'm living now, and a 99-foot-long black-on-black Chinook helicopter comes right up over my driveway as I'm moving into my house and sits there for about 10 minutes watching me move in. It's like, so you know we're here. Well, we know you're there, you know? And, and I figured the guy who's flying the helicopter, he's probably a really nice guy. I'd love to have lunch with him, you know? Sure. It's like, sure. oh yeah, it's... He's it's, just doing his job and, and it's 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 a, a, a bizarre system, but uh, a lot of people, they're, they're out of fear... Yeah. Uh, uh, the lack of courage that you brought to to your life path, uh, 
that that's what's needed. That's that's the key to, to understanding the whole thing, and that's the that's the northern mystery. That's that's that northern mystery is it's, it's a cur- mystery of courage. At the extern stones in Paderborn, Germany, they had the, to walk across this precipice, like a like on a tightrope, and if they fell, they'd die. Right. And that was that point at which they had to reach that courage. That was that heart force, because that's that's really the presence of of your your personal ego is the, the indwelling courage force of the heart, the lion force. And like it's like in uh, Wizard of Oz, it's the it's the lion, right? The cowardly lion who all of a sudden finds his courage. Yeah. And so it, it's all there. It's been around us. It's in the myths and legends. And, and, and these things are real. They're not just made up stuff to entertain, to entertain kids because they don't know any better. That, that a lot of our path of development has been laid out for us in myths, fairy tales, legends, and, and that these things were encoded by initiates from, from earlier periods to be able to give us uh, food for thought, you know. And so it, it ultimately can serve as the artistic bridge into the understanding of the realm of the, of the supersensible, you know, because if you try to just uh, approach it just abstract thinking, well, you know, and it's like with Leary. I got into this thing with him and I said, okay, you have this whole model of neurology and the, and the nervous system and how conscious these experiences and consciousness has to do with certain things, components of brain chemistry and all that. He said, okay, a few years ago, I was looking for a pencil and I couldn't find it. And I knew I had, it was in the band house. I was in a rock and roll band. We had a band house and all that, and, you know, jam with Peter Green and stuff like that. But I'm looking for this this pencil and I couldn't find it. And finally in frustration, I went and sat down in this chair in the corner and I popped right out of my body. And I was up on the ceiling looking down at the top of my head. And I saw the pencil behind the chair down there with all the dust bunnies and all that. And, and then after up, being up there a minute or two, I popped back into my body and then I got looked down over the chair and it was a Exactly the same thing I saw. It wasn't a hallucination. I was seeing 20-20 vision from the ceiling, and I know what the top of my head looks like, you know. And I reached out and I got my pencil and I was able to write what I was writing. I said, Can you explain me uh, with your neurological model of consciousness uh, how that happened? And he said, uh, No. Yeah, I mean, because he was, he's an honest guy, and I always respected him for that, even though I disagree with him about uh, drug culture as being uh, a valid way of approaching it. I mean, it, it can open somebody to understand that the, the thing is possible, but these, these are things that, that you really need uh, the development because if you put a sun lamp into a flashlight, you'll burn it out. I mean, you really, without the orchestration of one's super sensible organs, it could, it could be an unwholesome experience to have certain uh, uh, experiences come into you uh, when you're not ready for them. So it's, it's all about having it happen in the right way. That's another brilliant quote, putting a sun lamp into a flashlight. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, going and visiting colleges in high school see which one you want to go to i remember visiting one with my mom and it was like 
you can't, yeah, if you got it all at once, it would be too overwhelming. It's like 18, you know, Irish Catholic parents, private Catholic school, right? There's a certain strict lifestyle. And you go and you get to visit this college campus. And one, it's just larger than a high school campus. So, you know, that is, that's dramatic. The number of students, there's a lot more. So it's everything's dialed up. But then you also see frat houses and you see bars and it's, it's enough to entice you, right? It's enough. That's kind of like a psychedelic, right? It's enough to show you what's out there, but you can't just be thrown straight into it. You know, I went and did it and then I came back and I still had a couple months left of high school and it's like the thoughts there, but you don't just throw it straight in there. It's, it's a lot. And I remember I went to Valdosta state, which is a smaller college. And then my freshman year, I went and visited my friends from high school up at the University of Georgia, where I wanted to transfer. It was a better pre-med school. And it was kind of the same experience. I went up there for a weekend, an even bigger school, you know, football team, and it's huge, and there's this whole nightlife. And it was like, it was so intense. And then I went back to Valdosta, and like, I kept that in my mind. And I eventually did transfer to the University of Georgia. But it was this sort of like, you can get this glimpse of something and it's fantastic, but it's like, you gotta, you gotta come back down. You can't, you can't do it all at once. You don't, you know, you teach a kid to swim with like, you know, floaties on the arms and with mom and dad right there. You don't just take the baby and throw it off Niagara Falls. It's like, you can't do that. Right. And in theory, it sounds right. You're like, well, not, not theory. Don't throw babies off Niagara Falls, but like, yeah, just go all into it. Right. Just give me God now, give it to me all. And it's like, not not exactly right we we dial you you dial it up slowly and because it will it'll you'll explode and it's but it is this slow you know this drip 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 you know this is a story i've told a million times on this podcast but you know i lost my my brother to suicide in 2014 and he was in maryland where i am right now but at the time I was down and I'd been up in Maryland and, but I had gone down to visit my girlfriend at the time in Georgia. So I was 500 and I calculated, I was 599 miles away. Right. And the night before, uh, my girlfriend was, was sleeping with her head on my chest and she woke up. She woke, she woke up cause my heart was beating so hard that it woke her up from a dream. And she looked at me and saw I was sleeping and tossing and turning. She woke me up. So I was clearly having like a panic attack in my dream. But in my dream, like clear as day, I was like hovering over my brother's shoulder, almost like a little, like a drone, just kind of watching him. And he was in his room. And I watched everything unfold. And I know for a fact, and I always leave this part out just because it's family privacy, that I was watching in real time, you know, retracing his steps, you know, again, privacy, that I was watching what was happening. And this is from a pre-med, got in a medical school, pat myself on the shoulder. I scored in the top four percentile in the MCAT. I published aquatic toxicology research. I got into some badass medical schools. I, I watched that, not on acid, not on DM dead sober sleeping you cannot you cannot explain that 600 miles away and it's not like 
It's not like he told me, hey, I'm committing suicide. No one does that because you would go and stop them. I experienced that. And to me, it's almost in a much darker version. But again, it's putting the sun lamp into the flashlight. It's that showed me something. And it's like, I, I don't claim, just like you with the heart, you're like, I don't claim to know what it is. But I know it's not this. You know, it's, it's like, you know, this, is this water or is this vodka? I don't claim to know what it is. It's probably one of the two. Maybe it's acetone, you know, whatever some other clear liquids are. This is not milk. This is definitely not whiskey. This isn't orange juice. It's not orange. I don't claim to know what that was. But what I do know is it shattered my model, my existing model of reality. Because what was that? What was that? It's something... And I've, I've interviewed tons of people who had similar experience, all science-minded guys. Dale Comstock, youngest ever member of Delta Force, who was also in the CIA. I mean, but he talks about these, you know, and he's your all-American, never smoked pot in his life guy. But he talks about these experience with some of, like, the most efficient Delta Force operators he knows in his life. They all talk about these weird experiences that just rips their model of the world apart. And I don't claim to know what it is. But... To me, that's my evidence that no one can take that away from me. I know what I experienced. And it just showed me that the world is so much larger. You know, you both show up at school at the same parking lot every day. and We all take the same highway, St. Pius in Atlanta. You take I-85, you get off the eggs, and there it is. Well, one day, what if, what if the highway, what if you're at school and the highway shut down, but your friends are still showing up to the parking lot? You don't know how they got there, but clearly there are other methods to get there. Clearly there are other roads that just because you don't know about them doesn't mean they don't exist. So I don't really know where I'm going with this whole thing, but there are these little drip, drip, drips of where, like, what the hell? You're not going to learn. I'm not going to learn about that in a biology textbook or with you and Leary talking about looking top down or Dr. Evan Alexander, a literal Harvard neurosurgeon. And his book, Proof of Heaven, talks about all these things. You're, you're not going to want to me, but that is proof that there's just this three-dimensional physical reality we exist in is just one tiny little piece of like a much grander system. And I do this sometimes when I'm ranting. I don't remember where I started or why I started talking, but uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's good, you know, and and blessings on your brother. And, Thank you. you. Know, probably doing better than we are. Pro I, I firmly believe that. I, I firmly believe that. But, uh, yeah, well, it, uh, I'll give you just a very subtle example of that kind of thing, because these things happen, premonitions, you know, the, the, the remote viewing experience, you know. Uh, I was with a friend of mine. He was my best buddy at the time, and I was going to meet his his father and his uh, father's new wife, and but I had a vision of this guy and he and a plaid shirt reached in his pocket and pulled out. You know those reading glasses that you're like a half of a glasses. Yeah, yeah. You hardly ever see them, right? I mean, but he pulled out and put and put on those kind of glasses. Well, you know, like an hour later, who shows up? 
but his dad and sits down. He's got a plaid shirt. He's sitting there with this woman. And my friend shows him uh, some book or something. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out those little super thin, super thin profile glasses. And I, and that, that's when it really hit me. This is that little image that flashed in my mind like an hour, hour and a half ago. So we have to be open to the possibility of that there is that uh, realm in which which, uh, things can come to us. Like when I change the channel on the radio, it's like, I know what song it is. And it's just, how do I know what song it is and it hasn't even started yet? I push it and, and I know I can, in my head, that's going on and then all of a sudden it chimes into it. It's the song that I thought it was going to be. And and you know, it's not it's not anything about me. Yeah, I don't want to yeah. make it about yeah, yeah. me. It's just that I it's because I I work I like to think I work with, with uh uh Contour talked about open set theory and uh, that so much of, of what people work with they have a closed set because largely based on fear that when you live in a realm of closed sets and abstract thinking, that you you really want to slay the unknown because it, it violates the little yeah. experience that you got. They finally got this little belief system that you dwell in, and you feel safe, you know. Yeah. But when you get into open set theory, it's like there's things that are outside of your equation that you're not taking into consideration. And I assume, and that's why I always try to approach life as a, as a, as a unfolding series of questions yeah. and then answers they're like static they're they're dead they, they they're not growing life grows it's continually in a metamorphosis so that if you if you're working with closed sets you, you're just going to miss out on so many components that are playing into the picture that you're unaware of yeah. you know and, and that's kind of the way to look at it yeah if you live in you know, if you close this, if you close the set and, you know, you go, all right, well, we, we know we live on a, a flat earth. Well, there's only so many revelations. Like, you know, if you think you live on a flat or quote unquote, no, you do. Sure. You could still technically look at, you know, plant cells under a microscope. You could still do, you know, you could still do tests on the combustion point of wood. Like, but you, there's a, there's a ceiling what you can you know you want to start looking up at like orbital mechanics or uh you know stellar navigation or you've closed yourself off from that you can still do a lot of stuff you know intercontinental ballistic missiles like no you you gotta you're not you can't do that you're in your own and it's very comforting i mean who doesn't want to when you finally build up a model of the universe that you think works who doesn't want to stay in that you're like i've got it figured out you know it's crazy enough that i'm a self-aware monkey on a rock floating around a nuclear explosion you know if you kind of boil it down to like you know i wake up i go to work i eat this i get lunch there i come home and watch tv yeah it's comforting and i completely get it but that's what i i had a very intelligent friend say to me once actually not that long ago in 2021 i was saying something about like uh, youtube censorship and this was back when i was still on youtube like a moron and i was like well they do censor a lot of like i know for a fact they do you know, I'll, I'll upload a video and in the first two minutes, I'll get a hundred views and then it will just stop. It'll just stop growing indefinitely. And I was like, 
but I feel like if I can get a certain number of views, I can break their, their censorship. And I was like, I think about it like a, I think about it like a bucket with a smaller bucket inside of it. And I'm pouring water into the smaller bucket. I'm not seeing any water in the bigger bucket, but if I pour enough water into the smaller bucket, eventually it will overflow. And I remember he said, yeah, but what proof do you have that that model is accurate? Yeah. And that's something as simple as talking about YouTube censorship that I've, has stuck with me. It was probably like six months ago. I think about it almost every day. I'm like, so when I think about things, I'm like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I'm like, do I even know that that, you know, some models I'm pretty sure of, like, I'm pretty sure this is going to fall down. All right. Yeah. It just fell down. But some like bigger things you have these, well, I'm going to do this and I do that. And what goes around comes around. What models am I basing this on? You know, what, (laughs) what, what path am I, you know, Am I? Well, yeah. yeah it, it's like uh, I did this uh, Twitter thread on Crowngate where I, I did a, a mimetic uh, storyboard of the cabal and, and going all the way back with uh, the relationship of the Queen's Privy Council, George Soros, and mm-hmm. went through all the primary documents and I would create a little image with a, with a text and then I'd put a link into a primary document and I did this news you know uh, ultimately once I got to where I I had, I'd put enough in there there was over a couple hundred different entries in in the thread it's parked still at the top of my Twitter account John Barnwell 888 but in doing that within the first two weeks I got Two million, uh, close to two million five hundred thousand impressions. Jeez. Okay, it was just like to the yeah, rough. Yeah, and then chop. Now I get like, you know, two or three a week or whatever. But the cat was out of the bag because yeah, yeah, people yeah. are like, oh wow, this is like real stuff. This isn't like theory. This is like he says this, and I click here, and here's one of their documents telling yeah. you that this is what they're up to. Yeah, right. And so I did my thing there, and and but it's a perfect example. They just chopped me off. It was, yeah. you know, within a month, a boom. It's like crickets. It is. Yeah, it was crickets. It's like all of a sudden it was as if I didn't exist. And I know that people are still accessing it. It's just it's not registering in their system. Yeah. And it's, you know, they don't want to give me any help. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's by design. They want you to think you're alone. They don't want you to think you're in numbers, right? So that's why do they just get rid of the dislike button on YouTube, right? It's yeah, they, right. They don't, when a video comes out and it's the Pfizer CEO saying, we need to start jabbing infants with this, you know, thing that might destroy their heart. And there's, you know, it gets ratioed. There's seven up likes and 200,000 dislikes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to disable that if you want to keep this scam going. You can't have this. You can't have a successful revolution of of this, you know. So, yeah, when I would, you know, I interviewed, again, yeah, Dr. Robert Malone. That was episode 495. That went through the roof on my YouTube channel at the time and then just hit a ceiling. I mean, like running into a steel barricade just froze. And I was like, huh. I was like, what are the odds, you know, obviously sarcastically, what are the odds that out of all my episodes, no one even by accident stumbled upon this one? It just stayed at 2,899 views. Just incredible, incredible odds. And uh, But it's 
to me, that is those are the actions of a desperate power system. So I think yeah, it's man, I think I'm it's good. Of, yeah, I'm kind of flattered by it because I'm yeah, looking. At yeah, I, I have like 86 views just after I did some little thing, and then I'll come back 10 minutes later and it'll say 77. Views. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that so trick. Give me a haircut. Oh yeah, that trick. Haircut. That trick. It's like, yeah. Don't they have any better to do, or what? What's the, yeah, is it's the algorithm just, bored, or what? It's oh yeah, no. I I remember doing an interview about a uh, about human trafficking and organ harvesting in uh in um in China with some like experts on this uh, topic. It was like the first minute I think it hit ninety seven views, and I was like, I got a good one, and then it froze, and then it went back to like eighty, and then just stayed there for a couple months, and I was like. I mean, is this, is this really what we're doing, right? It's, you go and you see a <laughs> Pfizer video and it's got 100,000 dislikes. You go back an hour later and it's got 110,000 dislikes. You go back the next day and it's got 90,000. Go back the yeah. next day and it's got 200 and then it's back down to 80. And you're like, oh, oh, I guess a lot of people just felt the need to come back and unpress that. But to me, it's, well, one, it's you, you take flack when you're over the target, right? But two, it's also these are the these are the actions of a power structure that is rapidly losing power. If you're truly if you're truly in power, you don't need to get rid of the dislike button. But do I care? We run this thing. Yeah, let it get. Let him get ten trillion views on his his Twitter post about the cabal. When you're truly in charge. You're not worried about that. You're not worried about saving. Why did Douglas MacArthur, after we dropped the second A-bomb and he went over to Japan, why did he get off the plane and his aides asked him, they're like, you don't want a gun? And he goes, no. You walk out there with a gun. One, it's me and a bunch of Japanese. If they want to kill me, they're going to kill me. But two, we just nuked them in a submission. If you, if I get off of here without a gun, that's far more, that's far more compelling that we're in control. You get mm-hmm. off... And you walk it. He that's what he did right after World War II, the most vicious yeah. slaughter festival. He gets off no gun on his hip. And that yeah. that was power. When you're in control, he, you don't get rid of the dislike button. Yeah, he was he was the embodiment of that kind of courage. Yeah. Him and, him and Patton, him and Patton both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in one of my sales organizations for a nutrition sales organization I built. Uh, the guy who was driving the truck when Patton got T-boned and mm-hmm. killed was one of my people in my group, you know, this old guy that I knew. But it, the, if, the, I don't know if you've heard the story, but when Patton tells the story in, about in World War I where he first encountered, uh, he first encountered MacArthur and he said he was out in the battlefield and, and he looks and there's all the, Caissons flying, you know, bombs, people shooting, and there's and there's uh, MacArthur, and he's standing up in a, in a uh, vehicle, looking, you know, just like as if he's out in the middle of a golf course. It's like that. It, it's impossible for him to get shot. Meanwhile, there's all this chaos yeah. going on, and he's as if nothing's going on, you yeah. know. It's a, yeah, and, and it's that that spirit of destiny. Yeah, you know, with, with In fact, Patton himself, he believed himself to be the reincarnation, reincarnation. of Hannibal. Uh huh. 
Oh yeah, yeah. when he used to yeah. go to those uh, those ancient the elephants into attack. Uh, yeah, yeah Carthage. Oh, yeah, what, what, when he was in when he was in Italy, he was walking yeah, around the yeah. ruins, and the soldiers and he was like, "Well, this is over here," and they're like, "How do you know so much about the battle?" And he, he turned around, and looked at him, and he goes, "I was there." Yeah. Just, no, no. I've I've actually interviewed Patton's uh, granddaughter, Helen Patton. Oh, wow. oh she's a sweetheart. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there are stories like that. Hold on, let me check because I got I got another guest in in ten minutes. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't want to keep you. No, 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 no. I want to make sure that I'm still on with him because um, I would love to keep chatting with you. But I'm an idiot and I schedule tons of guests every day. Um, hold on. Let me just make sure he's still coming. Um, but yeah, you know, I've, I've, you know, Black Hawk Down, right? You know, that, that, yeah. all, well, I, I've interviewed, uh, that pilot twice, Mike Durant, who's now running for Senate actually. But, um, right. he talks about in his book, In the Company of Heroes, um, about when the two Delta Force operators showed up, uh, Gary Gordon and Randy Shugart. And, you know, it's the middle of Mogadishu. The helicopter smashed. His back is broken. Everyone else in the chopper is dead. There's just bodies piled up around the city. And he says, these two guys come down. And he says, they walk on up to the side of the, the helicopter as if, I think his words are, as if they're going for a Sunday stroll. Yeah. And he and he's like, boy, am I glad to see you guys. Like, I think my back's broken. Like, everyone else is dead. And he said they just kind of... He said they went and stood like 10 feet in front of the helicopter. I think they said a hand, one guy had his hands on his hips and the other was just kind of, and they were just pointing out lines of fire from where they were going to defend the, but he goes as if they were just out on like a putting green, you know, yeah. bullets, bodies everywhere. You know, we've got a black hawk down we're, and they're just out there and putting there and putting there. And it's just like the embodiment of like these guys are, and like they were killed that day. You almost have to imagine if there's just this level of, of destiny, like they knew what they were doing. They were inserted. They knew there wasn't enough ammo to fight off the whole city, and they knew there was no quick reaction force on the way. But like MacArthur standing up, they just kind of went down there, you know, checked their mags, and they're like, "So we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that, and then we're gonna just cover that." And it's like just facing the jaws of death, and they just walked on down there, like, "Yeah, so this is what we're gonna do today." And it's there is that certain level of courage where it's it's destiny. You're like, "This is what I'm doing." Right. It's just this is this is yeah. the thing I'm doing. Well, there's such a thing as a good death. Oh, yeah. You know, absolutely. And, and, and to, to people have, have allowed themselves to, to surrender to, to being cowardly. Yeah. And one of the predicaments that we're in, or many of them, so many of them is has to do with the lack of that kind of courage in the politicians and all of that. They're afraid of being exposed for their corruption. I mean, they should be wearing uh, NASCAR suits with, yeah, with so, all their sponsors' labels all over it. I yeah. mean, those guys are as fake as the day is long, you know? And so we're living in a world that, that is truly representative, you know, like uh, what Ram Dass, your, your hero guy, he said that, uh, you know, government is a projection of the consciousness of the people. Mm -hmm. You know, you, we got we got the government we've earned. You oh, know, yeah. Oh, yeah. we've been we really have been lazy enough to deserve this kind of nonsense. You know, and oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. can I mention my books before? Oh we, yeah, yeah, we yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, yeah. Please. Well, do. I've written two books, and uh, let's see, I got that arcane right over here. Angel. Here's the arcane of the Grail Angel, and that's some six hundred and forty pages. 
And that's a study developed out of the work of Rudolf Steiner, The Underground Dreams of Esoteric Christianity, which flowed from the Brotherhood of the Holy Grail to the Knights Templar and the True Rosicrucian Order. And Douglas Gabriel wrote the forward to that, and that's loaded with cosmological diagrams that I've re reproduced the whole series in my second book, uh, The Arcana of Light on the Path, plus added uh, almost twice as many. And it, it lays out all this cosmology of which I've been talking about. And, uh, but these are available on eBay and uh, you can get them through there if you're in the continental US. If you're outside the US, we can work out something through PayPal, but you can contact me through my academia link, which if you go to my Twitter feed, you can find the academia link there, but it's at John Barnwell 888. And that'll enable you to get in contact with, with me and, and work out an arrangement, or you can private message me on Facebook. And uh, that's... Uh, a lot of work there, 640 pages yeah. of dense material, so it's not for the fate of heart. Yeah. But if you really do want to proceed along these things, uh, it's an invaluable tool having the, the esoteric cosmology to be able to, to sort out uh, all the various details. And it deals with the history of it and shows the, the metamorphosis of the uh, history of consciousness. And so it's, it's invaluable. It's based on... Uh, some diagrams that I found many years ago of Aaron from Pfeiffer, who was a direct student of Rudolf Steiner's, and I, I cribbed notes from that and, and, and developed that, that theme of study uh, far beyond what, what I found in the diagrams. And so hopefully uh, I get a lot of uh, people that are very favorable to it. And so I just am trying to help people come to a, a, a level of thinking that's, that's more capable of bringing them into the spiritual understanding and and you said you have a podcast yeah i do uh i do a weekly podcast on on youtube and i facebook and twitter they're all uh simulcast on that and uh with uh, i do it with a reverend uh, david william perry out of london who's an interesting fellow he's written several books and and we go back and forth and part of the reason that it's it's an effective podcast is because we don't agree on a lot of things and that's fun, you yeah. know. And uh, but I used to have a podcast with Leo Zagami, uh, uh, the Pew. It was with Reverend uh, David, who does the podcast with me. You know, there's Leo Zagami, who's frequently on Infowars, and then uh, Roseanne Barr, who everybody knows. Uh, you know, from television, and it was uh, Lowell Joseph Gallen from Jerusalem, and so a very diverse group, but that got taken down because, uh, you know, we tended to, to gravitate into the subject that are, these things are allowed but not permitted, and so that got, yeah, that got that got destroyed, but and I do, I do. Uh, monthly, I do a, a show with Douglas Gabriel, who's the uh, one of the two principals of American intelligence media, uh, aimed for truth. Uh, 
And uh, so, that, you know, I got a, a lot of things that I try to keep going. I just try to keep developing my understanding and, and sharing with as many people as I can. And I get a nice feedback because I have people come back at me. You know, I was lucky. I When I was in junior high, the kid, you know, we'd line up in gym class alphabetically. And the guy next to me, alphabetically, ended up becoming best friends. And he was like the nephew of the, the Polish ambassador to America. And, you know, and but he one day turned to me and said, "Have you ever heard of Rudolf Steiner?" I was in the seventh grade. And I said, "No," you know. And now look what now look what happened. Yeah. But what if I lived, you know, in, in uh, out in, in the middle of Canada where I just uh, sent the guy some books? They they don't have any Steiner books in the town he lives in, but he he's thankful to be that he has this new area of his life that he's working on now. So it's like, it's rewarding for me in that knowing that I'm still uh, able to help uh, shed light on these things. And so that's, that's, that's a good thing. And I think that uh, the spiritual world can find you if, if you just uh, give it a chance, that's all, you know, Christ is looking for us. Yeah. Or as I think it was Timothy Lear, was it him or Hunter S. Thompson? Uh, you don't find psychedelics, they find you. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah, yeah, that's a way of looking at it's, it. You know? And psychedelics as a, as a placeholder for spirituality, or yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, it's it's there. It's it's it, again, it's 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 a sunny day, and you're inside. Like, sure, you're in an apartment with the blinds closed. Yeah. You can walk out the front door. It's right there. It yeah. is right there. You can find it. It's shining down on you. Yeah, no matter where you go, there you are. Hold on, hold on one second. I think the guy is canceling. Um, I'm an idiot. I'll do this where I schedule a ton of podcasts, and then all of a sudden I'll meet someone like you, and we're having a great podcast, and I'm like, shit, I have to cut this. Oh, we can always do another one. I know, I'd love to do another one. I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I have things that I have to attend to myself yeah, here. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and, don't worry uh, about it. But I, I, re- I thoroughly enjoy talking to man, you. Man, I love talking to you, man. That was co- As soon as you popped up wearing the CIA hat, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. We're going to go down the road. Well, I, 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 you know, watching your shows, I knew you had a sense of humor. Yeah, and, good. And I'm not CIA. My brother was. We never knew it until he retired, though. Really? Oh, yeah. And uh, he was in the military and... And uh, he was in my father's company, which is a CAD CAM, computer assistant design, uh-huh. computer assistant machinery. And he was in that first, my brother was in that first wave of people that went to China after Nixon opened up China. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I warned them all. I said, you know, China's going to destroy the industry. You guys are, you know, I, I don't know if you know what you're doing, but you're, you're giving it away. You're feeding the beast. Know, like, yeah, and that's that essentially what happened. Yeah. Of course, it's all a part of the, the great gay machinations that come from the power brokers in yeah. London, New York, and Rome, and, yeah, and Washington. Yeah, it's just trap. Yeah, they don't, this isn't an accident that they're feeding all this shit to China. You, you, want, yeah, you want a good enemy. I mean, we, we can never forget who was the ambassador to China. Kissinger? Yeah, Kissinger? No, George Bush Sr. Oh, j- even better, you know, <laughs> old Poppy. Poppy, oh, where, where were oh, you when JFK yeah, got yeah. whacked? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> Years later, oh, yeah, I was in Dallas. How do you, yeah. How do you? How does that slip your mind? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know. You know so, 
It's it's one of those things, you know, and and uh, when you get into the, that picture of uh, that that surfaced of uh, that was uh, what's his name uh, Cruz's father, right? Uh, uh, Ted Cruz's dad was yeah. was part of the CIA uh, clique down there with with. Uh, that whole thing and the picture surfaced with a very good friend of mine, uh, Marilyn Magruder Barnwell. She's the one who came up in that picture. Nobody knew that that's where it came from, but that's where it came from. Is a picture of them handing out leaflets on the street corner. And, uh, you know, it's like, she's like a distant, her husband's a distant relative of my family, old Irish, I, Norman Irish family, you know, it's like, it's I, my family has been here. The, my father's side has been here since like what sixteen forty two something like. Good that. lord! You know, and but my mother's side, you know, which is the great grandfather with the cathedrals and all that. He uh, he came over, you know, in the early twentieth uh, century, and uh, so that I have both sides of it going, and and. Uh, I, I love Ireland, but I think they've lost their way. You know, 100%. I think. the whole EU has. They're all, they're all, yeah. yeah. It's it's they're demolishing that thing from the inside, and they're all yeah, it's sad. But you reap what you sow. I mean, it really is. Yeah, Ramdas said that about Reagan. He was like, I think Reagan is a reaction to ourselves. He was like, we created it. It's so like these existing structures. You know, they're so corrupt, they're evil, they're backwards. Like these things are just reflections of us. Yeah. We get what we deserve. And, yeah. Um, but Mr. Barnwell, I will let you go. I know you said you got to into some that's things. A pleasure. I look forward to the next episode of whatever this is. Tommy's podcast. It's yeah, man. I can't wait to chat again. That was fun as hell. I'll put your books in the description as well as because I did watch some of your early your earliest uploads on your YouTube channel last night. There was one line that I, I wanted to touch on, but I clearly forgotten. It was um you talking about the Library of Alexandria and the interviewer asked you, you know, where would we be if it wasn't destroyed? And it's the only time I've ever heard the answer. We'd probably be in a worse spot if the Library yeah. of Alexandria didn't burn down. And that, yeah. I was like, I've never heard that answer before. I thought it was awesome. Because well, we, we don't have the, the uh, maturity to deal with the things that we're dealing with right now. I mean, it's obvious that it's... That whole thing, if you go back to like uh, Fantasia, you know, with the with the brooms, you know, and and Mickey Mouse is, is doing the spells and he gets the broom to do the chores yeah. before you know it, there's thousands of brooms and the brooms are taken over. Well, that's kind of like what, what we're looking at here. They got all these robots. So we're going to let the robots have the world? They won't even enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. If you can't tell, I, I, no, I swear a lot, and I think I reeled it in this episode. I try to try to keep my French at a, at a minimum. Um, yeah. Mr. Barnwell, thank you, so, thank you so much, man. I had an absolute blast. I'll, I'll send you some, some of my particulars so you can add them to the whatever. Please, please do. Yeah, no, no. So yeah, fit, put it in the email and I'll put it in the description of the, you can write out whatever you want. I'll just copy and paste it. I can't yeah. wait to the next talk. I have that note about the uh, the Hopis and the two paths and um, yeah, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Okay. It was a gift to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on here. Thank you so much. All right, Bye. Man. Take care, buddy. Peace.
Oh no. Recording stopped.